Good morning. It is Thursday, October 20th, and trending this hour, weed at gas stations. Circle K, the global convenience store chain, signed a deal with Green Thumb Industries, one of the largest U.S. cannabis producers, to sell licensed marijuana at its Florida gas station retailers. The partnership's going to begin next year with just 10 of the company's 600 locations throughout the state. Also trending, Halloween costumes. CNN reporting that this year's most popular Halloween costumes will include Spider-Man, the Stranger Things kids, and also dinosaurs. And finally trending, Kings Island. They've announced a new themed area with two new rides coming in 23. It's going to feature two new family rides, enhanced theming area for Adventure Express, and also two new restaurants. The rides include Soul Spin, where you can climb aboard an open-air suspended passenger vehicle to experience the thrill of flying 60 feet in the air at 25 miles per hour. The other ride is called Cargo Loco, where you can spin around in a shipping barrel. Why do people do this? Uh, They like to get their heart rate going. You don't like roller coasters and rides? Is that what you're saying? Go for a run. What? If you want to get your heart rate going, go for a run. Oh, I see what you're saying. Just go work out. Why do people pay to do this to themselves? People like thrill rides. What is wrong with them? I used to like them when I was younger, but as I get older, I'm more scared. I don't like being up high anymore, and I look at all the mechanicals of the ride, wondering when it's going to break. Who says, <laughs> I'm looking for some entertainment or something to do this afternoon? I know I'll go scare the crap out of myself yeah. on a ride that could, I mean, it could completely disintegrate. Yes, it could. I think it's the same reason people like to watch scary movies. No, because the difference is, like we talked about, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> you know what I can do? I can pause it, and yes. I can watch the rest of it in the daylight. Yeah. And I know Arlie Ermey is not really an evil, maniacal sheriff that has a leather-faced killer in his basement. I know that Jamie Lee Curtis is going to be doing Activia commercials later in the day. Mm-hmm. There is no chance that while watching Halloween, as bad as it was, that I could actually die while watching Halloween. Do you think you're going to die on a roller coaster? There's a chance. Yeah. Uh, I used to count how long it would take to get to the top of the hill uh-huh. on a roller coaster. That's the worst part. When I was in line, I would watch it and go, okay, it's 22 seconds. And then when I was on the ride, I would close my eyes and count. And then when I got that's, to the top of the hill, open my eyes and enjoy the that's ride. That's the worst part. And you're looking at me, Kevin. You <laughs> totally strike me as the sort of person who would get all sorts of joy in doing this extremely stupid behavior. Yeah, I think there's nothing more thrilling than sitting in a fast-moving chair. You like roller coasters. Uh, Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, Which do you like better, Cedar Point or Kings Island? Um, I went to Kings Island when I was really young. Mm -hmm. I kind of remember it, but I also like uh, Holiday World. Where's that? That's in Santa Claus. Yeah, you've never been to Holiday World? That's a a real Hoosier staple. Oh, Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to check that Uh, out. By the way, real quick, and we'll get to the show. Kevin Mm -hmm. is one follower away from his life's ambition Mm -hmm. of his very fabulous Uno Gold band Mm -hmm. achieving 400 followers on Instagram. So somebody go make Kevin's life dream become a reality. If you are beautiful, he will probably take you out for an evening of dinner and dancing. (laughs) Uno.gold on Instagram. Thank you. And you've got a big show coming up tomorrow, don't you? Yeah, tomorrow at uh, Melody Inn. Starts could, at 10 p.m. It's kind of a late one. If but. you're beautiful, you could take Kevin home with you. <laughs> yeah. Opportunities well, abound. I'm okay. just going to see where the night goes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. <laughs>
the show is on my mind uh, first and foremost, but yeah. you know, we'll just see how it goes. Right, it might perfect. Be feeling good. Yeah. All right. It is eleven minutes after nine. It's Kendall and Casey on ninety-three WIBC, and we start the show with incredible audio from President Biden again, <laughs> making no sense. So Biden's Democrats are facing the prospect of losing their congressional majorities in the midterms, as high gas prices have consistently been a thorn in their side. Biden did announce the release of fifteen million more barrels of oil from the emergency reserve, saying it would lower gas prices and bolster domestic oil production. But he did appear taken aback yesterday when multiple reporters were suggesting that his tapping into the SPR was politically motivated with the midterms just three weeks away. Yeah, so this guy, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if psychobabble is the right term at this point, but this is a guy who his first action as president was to gut a signature action of the Republicans and the previous Republican president, which was to ensure the free flow of oil and energy in this country with the Keystone pipeline. Mm -hmm. He has taken numerous steps throughout his presidency to choke off domestic oil production at the objection of Republicans. And so now he's forced himself to beg the Saudis to help him and release the strategic uh, petroleum reserves. And this is his... You're going to have to help me about what he means, given the fact that, as he said, his first act as president was to gut mm-hmm. the sig- one of the signature domestic issues of the previous Republican president and Republican Senate. Listen. What is your response to Republicans who say you are only doing this SPR release because- to help Democrats in the midterms? Where have they been the last four months? That's my response. Where than the last for two years they've been telling you you're doing it wrong. Where have they been? Where has he been? He's been on the beach in Delaware. That's where he's been. You know, Casey, I would sooner throw up on myself than defend the Republicans. But on the case of energy, the Republicans under Trump were pretty darn good. That's one thing you can look at. Energy and judges, the Republicans did a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. And they are absolutely on the have the moral high ground on saying you have been a colossal failure in terms of what it is costing people to put gas in their tank and heat their homes. Yeah, maybe keep good relations with Saudi Arabia. Maybe don't shut down the Keystone Pipeline. Maybe don't spend your time chasing solar and wind and green unproven energies. Here's one. Maybe instead of laughing at Trump in 2017 like he did when Trump said to Germany, don't keep yourself tied to Russian energy, maybe, just maybe, Biden should have been listening. Of course, the National Energy Assistant Directors Association projected that the average cost of U.S. home heating across all fuels, including gas, heating oil, and propane, is going to spike 17% this winter compared to last year. So then he goes on to deny that it's political at all, and this is the best part. He insists someone else is asleep. Joe Biden, Casey, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. insinuating someone else isn't on the ball. That's my response. Is it politically motivated, sir? This no, it's not. Three weeks before the midterms. Look, it makes sense. I've been doing this for how long now? It's not politically motivated at all. It's motivated to make sure that I continue to push on what I've been pushing on. And that is making sure there's enough oil that's being pumped by the companies 
so that we have the ability to be able to produce enough gas that we need here at home, oil we need here at home, and at the same time, keep moving in the direction of providing for alternative energy. That's what I've been doing. Now, the problem is these guys are asleep. I don't know where they've been. And they seem, you know, the price at the pump should reflect what the price of a barrel of oil cost. And it's not going down consistently. Mr. Uh, okay, okay real, real quick, because I, I, we don't have a lot of time on this. But do you think he knows that what he puts in his car is not oil? <laughs> do you th- I'm, I'm serious. Do you think Joe Biden, given his current mental state, mm-hmm. has any idea that the price of oil is just one part of the price of gasoline? Like, if you were to ask Joe Biden right now as president of the United States, explain to me how gasoline is made. Could he do it? No. I mean, this is the guy who got into an electric vehicle at the Tr- Detroit Auto Show and was talking about, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't even know where he's at, what's going on. When do you think the last time is that Joe Biden actually went to a gas station and filled up a car? There is so much more that goes into gas. The oil is part of it. Oil is a global commodity. Oil is, is based on people buying and selling it. But the price of oil is just one part of the equation so for him to act like whatever the price of oil is that's what a gallon of gas should cost and joe biden has made it harder to refine gasoline in this country he says it's not politically motivated yes it is we see you this plays right into the saudi's declaration that biden asked them to wait on the opec limits until after the midterms it's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC, 17 minutes after nine and coming up we're going to hear from the vice president So Kamala Harris is hoping that the third time is the charm. The VP has hired a new speechwriter, her third since taking office. I wonder if he had to make a Venn diagram about speechwriting. You know, he did the three circles, and then he said, Now, Kamala, Madam Vice President, this is the circle where you don't say anything. But she touted that the Biden administration's record on climate change, she was touting about that, and she delivered a dire message about the need to respond to the crisis with urgency. This happened at an event this week in San Francisco. She talked about the Inflation Reduction Act that President Biden and the Democrats passed in August, which does include a record $369 billion for climate change and green energy programs. And what's her favorite part about the Inflation Reduction Act, Rob? Well, it's the electric school buses, Casey, and, you know, why not? Because when the bill says Inflation Reduction Act, Mm -hmm. I know that for years and years and years, non-electric school buses have been the primary driver of inflation in the United States. So as a government that is always honest and upright and truthful with its citizens about what's in bills, and I'm sure as everyone who always reads all these bills they vote on, why wouldn't you, if you ask someone on the street, what's the best part of the Inflation Reduction Act, electric school buses? Mm -hmm. Well, that would certainly be the first thing that they would think of. What are some parts of the Inflation Reduction Act, this, this amazing new law that you are most excited about? So, I mean, so much. So I'm, I'm one of the things that I'm very excited about is what we have been doing in terms of electric vehicles. Um, and I, I have a particular fondness, I must tell you, for electric school buses. I love electric school buses. <laughs> 
I really do. And we're manufacturing them in our country. I've been to the manufacturing plants. I've, I've been on these electric school buses. And think about it. Aside from the pandemic, on a daily basis, 25 million children in our country every day go to school on those diesel-fueled school buses. And hundreds, thousands of school bus drivers are driving those buses, which are then these people, these children, these adults, are inhaling what is toxic air. What's your favorite part about the Inflation Reduction Act? Oh, it's, it's reducing inflation for the American people. So no, no, that wasn't the answer. When you go vote this fall, <laughs> this year, mm-hmm. the next couple of weeks, yeah, early voting, depending on where you're hearing our voices, actually, listeners all over the country uh, may have already started, as it has here in Indiana. Shouldn't you vote based on whether the people who lead this country are even being honest with you? We're not even talking about whether we have a disagreement on opinion. We're talking here about a group of people who blatantly lied to you in terms of what they even named the bill. Right. Because they know their actual agenda is so radically left and out of touch with the average American that they can't be honest with you. So if you're going to go vote this fall, shouldn't that right there just tell you, like, don't you deserve more than that? That they don't even name the bills what the bills are anymore, and they don't think twice about it. Yeah. What's your favorite part of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act? It's not reducing inflation. It's electric school buses. Yeah. Sidebar, a new CNN report found out that Biden's Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, mm-hmm. is more popular than Kamala Harris. And she's got some excuses as to why this may be. One is that her security footprint is larger than his. Oh. So when she comes to town, it's a bigger hassle for oh, everybody. Sure, right, yes. Another excuse is that Buttigieg is in charge of an agency that doles out billions of dollars in grants for infrastructure projects right. that people want. And the last reason that she found that Pete Buttigieg is more popular than her, it's because He's not associated with Biden the way that she is, which gives him more latitude with his remarks. Well, it is campaign it, it is interesting because they are clearly setting Buttigieg up along with Newsom mm-hmm. to be the next guy. Yeah. And then they're making it you're you're starting to already see it unfold that they are uh they are preparing mm-hmm. one of two people to be the next standard bearer of the Democrat Party and is going to be Buttigieg or Gavin Newsom. Coming up next, we're going to speak with Abdul. He's going to join us to recap the U.S. Senate race and also preview the final push to Election Day. That's up next from 93 WIBC. Nothing is, you've never been more correct in your Here's entire life. Johnny. <laughs> the one and only, he's an author, he's a broadcaster, he's a provocateur, the one and only Abdullah Keep Shabazz. How are you, my friend? I actually watch a lot of Halloween stuff on cable TV, this go around. Are you? Because, because part of me, 
I don't want to see it, but part of me really wants to see the final Michael Myers. No, 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 don't waste your time. No, 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 absolutely no, no, no. I'll tell you, 30 minutes in, I turned it off. It's terrible. I hear there's a scene where they're in a radio station, which is completely believable. Because <laughs> every day is Halloween around here, right? <laughs> oh, look, there are the twins, and there's the blood coming down the hallway. <laughs> okay, so you watched the U.S. Senate debate. Were you there in person for this one? Yes, I was there in person. Uh, we just got done doing our play up in Carmel. So as soon as I got done to play, ran home, changed clothes, and went down to the debate on Sunday. Uh, are you like us? Did you get done after that hour and say, uh, all three of these people owe me an apology and I'd like that hour of my life back? I mean, that was terrible, right? No, I, I, I do this so you guys don't have to. Yeah. That, that's, that's, my, that's my rule. Um, I thought, I thought uh, to, to, to be my honest assessment, I thought, uh, I thought Tom McDermott actually, if it had to pick a winner, I'd say it was Tom McDermott. But that's like, but that's like everybody got an F and this guy got a D minus. Or as I said, it's like winning the AFC South. The Titans, the Colts, the Texans, the Jags, they're all terrible. Somebody's got to win this division. Or for you non-sports people, it's like being valedictorian in summer school. Right. I mean, mm. McDermott won, <laughs> but there's nothing really to brag about in that victory. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I give it to McDermott. Uh, I thought Todd was a, little, was a little flat, to be to be honest with you, and he wasn't. I don't know if it was just because it was Sunday night. It was you know late. It's dark outside because it's seven o'clock. Blah blah blah. Yeah, maybe, maybe, it a, maybe it a wager on Sunday night football. Who knows? <laughs> or, or something along those lines. Maybe he wanted to watch the Halloween movie. <laughs> I don't know. And I, I thought I thought Simniak could have done a much better job. Oh yes. I thought Simniak was uh, was majorly. I won't I won't say unprepared, but just. They didn't work on his presentation. Yeah. And you guys know in television mm-hmm. and radio, presentation is 90% of the battle. And the, and the one thing that just really bothered me about James Simniak, this is going to sound really weird and petty, was his tie was crooked. Isn't that, isn't that crazy, Casey? Because we had commented on how great Jeff Moore's mm-hmm. tie looked. And isn't that weird how a simple thing like a tie mm-hmm. can make such a difference to people? Well, it just made him look sloppy. Yes. And that's, that's what it did because it was crooked and kind of off to the side. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn it, just... Straighten that thing back up. It would have been better had he just loosened it to be a working man. <laughs> rather, I, than... I hate that working man analogy. Let's talk about <laughs> Todd Young for a minute because you and I have discussed this multiple times. Even going back to 2016, he's not a very good debater. He wasn't good in the Marlon Stutzman debate. He wasn't overly great when he debated Evan Bayh. And then, you know, he got schooled by Tom McDermott, which, I mean, I get the guy's a mayor, but, I mean, you're not, you know, you're not up there debating President Reagan. He's not very good for having done this for 12 years. Yeah, but but see, but debates are a tricky creature. And to to, to do a debate and do it well, you got to do it all, you got to do it all the time. And Todd is, Todd is okay, but he's not great. He's not Ronald Reagan. He's not Barack Obama. He's not Bill Clinton. He's not even Donald Trump, for that matter. Uh, but I thought Todd, for the most part, did okay. But in this race, okay isn't enough. Do debates matter? I think they do to to a point. I think if you're if you if you watch the debate Sunday night, either the Secretary of State's either the U.S. Senate debate or the Secretary or the Secretary of State's or the Secretary of State's debate, you're probably going to vote because you're interested because you're watching the whole mm-hmm. you're watching the whole thing. So from that perspective, if you're an undecided voter and you're a candidate trying to reach an undecided voter. I think debates actually matter. Now, uh, I'm working on trying to find out what the what the ratings were for WFYI's uh, debate because not only were they on public television across the state, they're also uh, on radio and also streamed online. So, trying to get the numbers all together, mm-hmm. my my money is probably I'd say probably about a million people watch. We'll, we'll have watched by the time it's all. So, so this is interesting because obviously we talked about in your poll there are. Huge numbers of undecideds inside the Republican Party in both the Secretary of State race and the U.S. Senate Senate race. I felt like 
coming out of the Secretary of State's debate, especially with Diego no showing, you would feel just fine as an undecided saying, I'm going to take a chance on Jeff Moore because that dude looked the part, you know, he sounded the part, he is a normal guy, he's very competent, I could totally see myself voting for him. If you were an undecided Republican last Sunday, you did not probably walk out of there going, yeah, James Siniak made the, the bill of sale. So it's interesting how the two libertarians did so differently. Yeah, because they had they had, they had different missions. And I would actually argue that, that Jeff Moore's race is much more important. Yes than the U.S. Senate race, because A, it's not only for ballot access, which I think libertarians will get, but I think this is their best shot ever at getting major party yeah, major party status, because they're only, they're only like 7% in our poll at three more percentage points, and then bam, there you, get, you got your 10%, and now you now you now you got to have a primary and all, all, all the other front stuff. So I think, I think Jeff Moore had, had a much, he had, he had a much bigger road to hoe than James Siniak did. Now, you mentioned undecided voters watching. Do you think that there's a big swath of undecideds watching a debate? I say, I say, I say, I say enough of the audience. Uh, I say a significant minority portion of the audience uh, is undecided. A significant minority? What the hell was that? I say like maybe like 40% of the audience. Okay, is, very good. So you think that many, huh? Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, so my, my point on all that, though, is... And we talk about this idea of an undervote. It seemed like a lot of people who were probably the people that your poll showed, 25% in the U.S. Senate race, undecided. It seems like a lot of those people are either going to now, because Siniak had the opportunity to make the sale to those people, unlike Jeff Moore, he didn't really do it. So those people are either going to leave it blank or they're going to hold their nose and vote for Todd Young. You see, I don't necessarily think you hold your nose and vote for Todd Young if you're still undecided right now, because... If 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 you if you got your mind made up, you got your mind made up, and nobody nobody usually walks into the ballot on on, on election day, and if they're undecided, vote votes for the incumbent. That usually doesn't work. Really, the, the, usually the way the undecided voters break, and this is what I've seen in, in, in study after study, is excuse me, undecided tend to break two to one for the challenger. But McDermott is, I've seen a lot of people say, and Casey, you see this all the time, you monitor our YouTube chat, et cetera, you see it on Twitter, where in the case of the U.S. Senate race, and I don't see this with the Secretary of State race, which is why I think Jeb Moore is going to do markedly better than CINIAC, they say, well, you're right, Rob, Young's terrible, and yeah, the spending, and the, you know, he's gaslighting us, but I, but. Just, can't, I just can't risk having the Democrats in control of the Senate. I think you're going to see a lot of split ticket voting amongst, especially amongst Republicans. I, I, I can see that. I can see that scenario happening uh, in the McDermott Young race because it's not just about them; it's about who controls the the U.S. Senate. And so, by keeping Todd Young in, that's one less seat Republicans will have to worry about. So, I can see your 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 hold your nose and and vote for vote for Todd Young. However, if that's not your priority, then I think it's it's sort of all bets are off. Why don't they talk directly to the undecided voters then? If you're saying that's who's watching the debate and they haven't determined which candidate they want to vote for, why don't the candidates speak directly to the undecided I, voters by saying things like, hey, if you're undecided, here's what I can do for you? Well, I, I think they do. They just do it in, in sort of a different way. For example, if you're Tom McDermott uh, and then, like, say, you, know, you bring up the abortion issue, you say, this is why Todd Young voted for blah, blah, blah. This is why Todd Young did XYZ. If you're Destiny Scott West, like this is why Diego Morales isn't here, blah, blah, blah. This is why I did XYZ. So, so you do it in, in sort of a, it's like a nice backhanded compliment. <laughs> a little finesse? Yeah. You, but you, is that necessary? I mean, don't you want to be a little bit more direct at this point? Uh, yes, yes and no. 
A lot, a lot of, a lot of people need a, a lot of people need a hug, Casey. That's a very a, a lawyer answer from you, Abdul. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Abdul's with us. A couple minutes left here. Uh, okay, so there, the Democrats now in the Secretary of State's race and the U.S. Senate race are both on television. Their ads are markedly different. Todd Young or Todd Young, Tom McDermott. While it is a, a ad centered around abortion, it is him. The Destiny Wells ad is Diego sucks. Which approach do you think is the better approach for the Democrats? The look at me, I'm a good guy, or the the Republican sucks? Um, I think both. I think both, both, both strategies work based on the based on the opponent that they have. For example, with Diego Morales, you know, she the big thing was he was fired from the Secretary of State's office. You know, fired one time, quit before the second time before he got fired. So. That they'll bring up over and over and over again. Once again, going to those undecided voters' cases like you talked about. Mm-hmm. Whereas with McDermott, everybody knows who Todd Young is, so I need people to know who I am. And mm-hmm. here's who I am, and here's what I stand for. So I think both their, strategy, <clears throat> both their strategies work, but you got to have the right candidate be running against. Because I don't think Destiny's, Destiny's strategy would run, work well against, Tom, against Todd Young, and, to, and Tom McDermott's would work well against Diego Morales. So are you saying that a vote for Destiny Wells is a vote against Diego, whereas a vote for Tom McDermott is a vote for Tom McDermott. Yes. All right. Okay. Are you working this weekend? (laughs) Are Uh, you doing anything to help this radio station? Yes, I'm doing Indiana Issues. Oh, but (laughs) is there no Abdul at Large? IU football canceling you again? IU IU football. IU plays Rutgers. They start at noon. Ah, okay. (laughs) So So, lucky you. (laughs) Be sure to bookmark his very fabulous website, IndiePolitics.org. He still does a lot of work over there. Yes, Casey. Hey, I had one question for you. I saw that you put out that you wanted school board uh, people running for school school board to get in touch with you. Yes. Because you're going to put all their information online. Yes. Uh, what I'm doing is uh, this always do this a couple weeks before election time. Is I sort of I do sort of a, a blog post called Why are, Why are You Running? Mm-hmm. And so we just send the word out to all candidates, school board, state rep, state senator. Why are you running? 500 words, and we'll post it. So Rob and I have been talking to a lot of these people, especially on the school board, so if they want to get their information on your website. Abdul at IndyPolitics.org. All right, there you go. The one and only Abdul Gibbs Shabazz. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. 93 WIBC. It's the Kendall and Casey Show. A group of Wisconsin taxpayers asked the Supreme Court to block the Biden administration's student loan transfer program while an appeal plays out in lower court. So this is an emergency request, and it was filed to Justice Amy Coney Barrett. She handles all the emergency matters arising from Wisconsin, and it came shortly after the administration began accepting applications for the program. You remember when President Walnut couldn't say the website correctly when he said DOT instead of just saying the dot in the website. So here's the thing. You can't eliminate debt. You can only transfer it to somebody else. But the challengers in the case are the Brown County Taxpayers Association. They urge the court to rule that the president's nationwide debt transfer program illegally encroaches on Congress's exclusive spending power. Yes. So their argument is, and this is what's interesting, and we've talked about this from the beginning, that the standing in the case, not to get all legal stuff, to steal a phrase from Hammer and Nigel, Mm -hmm. but the standing in the case is what will be interesting. And this is why I think these people went directly to the Supreme Court, because they're saying, look, Congress has the spending authority. Now, the Supreme Court in the past has granted some leeway 
to the executive branch in terms of certain types of decisions, but they do not grant that in terms of things that have major economic consequences. Why did the vaccine mandate fall? Because the president can't just arbitrarily come out and wave a magic wand because it had a profound economic impact on the country. And that's why the Supreme Court ultimately stepped in and said, you're right, the president can't do this. If you want to do this, it has to go through the Congress, which is exactly in this case what Nancy Pelosi has said until she didn't say it, but initially, what back in April or whenever that was, she said, "No, of course he can't do President that." President can't it's do this, ridiculous. Right. Yeah. And so, I would think that they're going to at least get a hearing on this. I would be shocked if they didn't, because of the mass. You know, you're talking hundreds of billions of dollars, and if a president can simply do this without the consent of the Congress then why do we even have a Congress at right. this point? Exactly. I mean, this is my, this is my unbiased, my unbiased question in terms of, I'm trying to take away the fact that I think this is a stupid, ridiculous thing. Like I'm trying to think if it were something I agreed with, I don't know what I would agree with. that would be, involve spending hundreds of billions of dollars, but let's just operate from that standpoint. If the president of the United States can make a unilateral decision that is hundreds of billions of dollars that we know of, maybe as much as a trillion dollars of economic impact. Why do we even have the Congress? And why is the Constitution very clear that only the Congress can spend the money? Can approve spending. It's not the president's personal checkbook. Right. It's our checkbook, which is why we elect people to Congress to represent us, and they're supposed to vote on our behalf. And if... It, it, it's not just a blank check for him to dole out whenever he wants. And the other side of this, too, is, and I felt the same way about the PPP program. Mm-hmm. You are not a bad person if you apply to have this debt canceled. Because if you don't take it, someone else is going to. It's not like, I know some people are like, well, I'm a conservative. You know, I shouldn't do this. You're screwing yourself if you don't. The fault, just like with the PPP program is with the people who pass the law. You are a moron if someone is going to hand you $10,000 and you don't take it. Someone is legal. Let me rephrase that. You are a moron if someone is legally going to hand you (laughs) $10,000 and you don't take it. I do not, in the same way as I said, the, the, the people who got the PPP money legally, now obviously because nobody read anything in the u.s congress who voted for that there was hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars rather of waste fraud and abuse but i don't begrudge anybody if someone's going to hand you a check and and you take you take the money you're a moron for not doing that yeah now there were some lawmakers who took it who i'm going to point out the hypocrisy of them and we've done that on this show Mm -hmm. because they espouse on their social media every single day limited government and this and that and this is out of control and that's out of control and whoa if only someone would do something i'm not going to name any names today because i'm feeling generous but you know who i'm talking about and then they take the money okay i'm going to point out the hypocrisy of you as a lawmaker but you as an individual citizen Mm -hmm. 
that, no, you should absolutely, if someone's going to hand you $10,000, take it, and hopefully the court will do the right thing, which just says nobody should be taking it. Well, the Wisconsin taxpayers argued that the HEROES Act does not authorize Biden's debt cancellation transfer policy in which the Congressional Budget Office estimates it's going to cost about $400 billion over 30 years. 953 with Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. And let's talk about this recent polling done that lists the most popular American politicians. And boy, the left isn't going to be happy about this. According to the poll, it was conducted by Harris and also Harvard University. Ron DeSantis yes. has the highest net popularity rating of any major American politician. So basically what they did is they asked people to list people as either very favorable, favorable, unfavorable, extremely unfavorable, never heard of them, or no opinion. And then there is a methodology where they take all of those responses. Mm -hmm. Give them a plus or minus, and, right? And Ron DeSantis is the most, uh, it, it was number one on this list. He is, by their standard, the most popular politician in America, mm -hmm. which is goes back to what we talked about the other day. He's not only going to win, he's not only going to win by the five points, he'll probably win by eight points or more, and he will immediately become the Republican Party's front runner for president because you're going to see a whole bunch of people who are going to say, look, establishment-y Republicans are going to say, we don't like DeSantis, he's too conservative for us, but he ain't Donald Trump. And the coalition that DeSantis will be able to build from liberty-minded people, conservative people, and even establishment Republicans who know Chris Christie has got as much chance of being president as you or I do, he, he's going to be a, a he is going to be the Republican nominee for president. So the top four on the lit on the list were all Republican. It was Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, Tim Scott, and then Donald Trump. And Mike Pence came in the second place. Did you say did you see what he recently said? This was just yesterday. He was asked if he would vote for Donald Trump in mm -hmm. twenty four and his answer was this is Mike Pence. He said, There might be somebody else I'd prefer more. Well, I hope Mike Pence runs because as I told you, I would pay a sizable amount of money to see Mike Pence and Donald Trump on a stage together. And I've got lots of great Mike Pence stories that I've been saving for about uh oh eight and a half, nine years to tell. And boy, I think they would just elate our audience. By the way, President Biden was eighth on this list of most popular. Kamala Harris was 10th. It is Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Thank you for listening this morning.